how you doing? This is Frank Benali from Choir Riot on Sonic Perspective. I am Rodrigo Altaf, and this is another interview for Sonic Perspectives. Today we're going to talk to a pivotal figure in the popularization of metal in North America. I'm talking about Frankie Bonali, the drummer of Quiet Riot. Frankie, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for your interest in Quiet Riot and, uh, and having us on your, uh, on your show. It really is a pleasure to be chatting with you. Thanks, man. Uh, we booked this interview to talk about the band's new album, Hollywood Cowboys, which comes out on November 8th. But uh, yesterday you had some sad news to share. You're now battling pancreatic cancer. How are you coping with it, and how's the treatment going? Uh, treatments are going well. You know, I'm getting I'm getting uh, good results uh, at the moment, uh, and it's a work in progress. Um, as as I've mentioned in the past before, anything I've ever accomplished in my life was not given to me. I had to fight for, um, and I think that prepared me uh, to be involved in, in the fight literally for my life, so I have uh, every intention of moving forward. Um, I'm incredibly grateful, touched, uh, overwhelmed in a, in a positive way, and very humbled by, by all the support, all the messages, all the prayers, all the well wishes that I've received across the board um, from everywhere, from, from Japan to Russia, um, and everything in between. It's uh, It's been a a very gratifying experience, and it just reminds me that, uh, that you know, people uh, believe in me and people want me to continue fighting, and they've given me additional strength to do so. Right. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, man. And, uh, well, this disease, of course, led you to miss a handful of shows this year, and uh, Johnny Kelly from Danzig stepped up to help. How did you guys reach him, and how did you look at those shows? I mean, because you're such a perfectionist. Well, first of all, to, to um, speak on, the, there were two different drummers that, uh, that came on board. Uh, Johnny Kelly was the first, and he was suggested. Um, I mean, I've known Johnny for years and, and love him and respect him. Um, he's a great drummer who did some phenomenal work with Typo Negative, so I was aware of Johnny. Uh, but um, Alex Grossi has worked with Johnny on and off uh, in the Hollywood, I mean, in the... Um, uh, uh, Hookers and Blow project that he does, a side project. So he was the, the first guy we reached out to, and especially since the first show I missed was in Texas, uh, right outside of Dallas, and uh, Johnny lives in Dallas now. Uh, and then there was a point where Johnny was not going to be available for some of the shows, so I reached out to another great drummer and friend, uh, Mike Dubkey, who had also played with Wasp as well as was in uh, Dee Snider's solo band. So they were the two that stepped up to the plate. Oh, okay. The reason for continuing to do the shows without me uh, was based on a number of reasons. Um, I got in touch with some of the promoters of the shows and explained to them the situation. And, uh, and with very few exceptions, you know, they were all very supportive. Um, and I had a contractual responsibility to do the shows. I had a responsibility to the fans that were looking forward to seeing Choir Riot and had already bought tickets. But I also had a responsibility to my band uh, to keep them working because they all have families and they all have financial responsibilities. Um, and I wanted to ensure that, uh, that the band could continue performing. Um, 
you know, in lieu of me not being there. And I took a lot of criticism for it because um, it was six months from the time that I was diagnosed until going public yesterday. Um, so I was, you know, largely criticized as somebody that was sitting at home, you know, with my feet up on the table and just, you know, collecting the money. Uh, but I think now people clearly understand that that was not remotely the case. Of course, of course. And you were responsible to carry on the legacy of Quiet Riot, especially after Kevin Dubrow passed away in 2007, and you played on every single Quiet Riot show until this year. How did it feel to see the band for the first time without you on stage? Well, having to make, you know, having to make that decision was very painful for me. Um, immediately after I was diagnosed on April 17th, uh, two days later I started uh, working on the mixes with uh, with engineer Neil Citron for the Hollywood Cowboys record, and uh, and after I had my a couple of days after I had my first biopsy, um, I flew to Florida and did a uh, and did a festival with the band, uh, and then again uh, on May 5th I did the M3 festival, but after that my my oncologist and and my medical team. And the surgeons uh, said that it would be impossible for me to fly. And that was a really difficult decision for me to make because, you know, I had always prided myself to not only be the only drummer that's played on every single Quiet Riot record since Metal Health, um, but I have never missed a show in my entire life. And that was a very difficult decision uh, for me to make. But I couldn't think of just myself. I had to think of the of the bigger picture. Um, so I decided to move forward, uh, even though I wouldn't be able to perform. Right. Well, let's talk about the new album, Hollywood Cowboys. Uh, I had a first listen to it yesterday and again earlier today. It's a great album, and I love your drums, how they are in the forefront this time. And I'd say it's one of the most diverse Quiet Riot albums. Would you agree? Yeah, without a doubt, and 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 I'm and I'm glad you you actually get it and see and see the diversity of the record. Uh, you know, my singer, uh, or rather my um, my writing partner Neil Citron and I started working on material uh, almost immediately after we had delivered um, the the previous Quiet Ride record, Road Rage, to the label. So over a year's time. Uh, we had narrowed it down to the 12 songs that we were happy with, so he and I wrote all the music to that. And, you know, you have key tracks like Don't Call It Love and In the Blood, which is the uh, video song that's going to premiere this Friday, October 25th. Right. But you have Heartbreak City and Devil That You Know, and those are, you know, those I think have a lot to do with with the sound of Choir Riot and having that anthem rock and that arena rock kind of sound. But then you have some tracks that are completely different, like Change or Die and Insanity, which are heavier uh, in tone and content. And then you even have a blues song, uh, Roll On, uh, on the record. So, yeah, it does, you know, and then you have the straight ahead, you know, Quiet Riot type of songs. So I think it is indeed a, a, a more very Quiet Riot record than its previous uh, release. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, at every record you face a dilemma, which is how you still sound like the classic Quiet Riot while avoiding the to sound dated and uh, looking forward, right? Do you think about that at all when you're writing? Well, I do. I think I think a lot of I think a lot of um, a lot of it has to do with the sound of Quiet Riot. I mean, I recorded 
uh, all the drums on on analog, you know, two inch tape, which is really old school, and most oh, people don't right. do anymore uh, because a it's difficult to find studios that still have 24 track machines. B um, it's hard to come up with two inch tape, which fortunately I have a I have a stock of of never used two inch tape to bring into the studio. Right. Um, but you know it is it is a different process, but you get to achieve that sound. Um, but you know I'm very I'm very careful not to try to copy um, any of the any of the material that we recorded in the past, and especially anything from the Metal Health record because. You can't win in that situation, uh, you know, if, if you do it, you know, people will say, well, you're trying to copy the mental health record, or people will say it's not as good as the mental health record, right. so it's pointless right. to, uh, to go there. And if you're going to write and record new material, you want to move forward, not backwards. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And at which point this time did uh, Alex Gross and Chuck Wright get involved in the making of the album? Well, in, in this particular situation, because the music had already been uh, been written by Neil and I, what I did is we uh, we made some quality demos, um, and I initially sent it out to Alex, and uh, and Alex immediately jumped in it and did some fantastic guitar work and changed things to be you know more in his style uh, and his uh, musical comfort zone. Mm -hmm. uh, and after we did that, I sent the tracks off to Chuck Wright. Uh, he's an amazing bass player, and uh, and he, you know, he really brought it to another level with uh, with his inventive uh, bass playing. Uh, and then we took those demos. Now with Alex and Chuck, um, we sent those over to James, uh, and James uh, was comfortable writing to five of the songs, but um, for whatever reason didn't step up um, to work on the other seven which is at that point why I enlisted um, outside writers. And I went to not only great writers, but people that I know and trust and are friends. Uh, the first one being Jacob Bunton, who wrote the lyrics and melodies to Don't Call It Love, In the Blood, Heartbreak City, and Devil That You Know. Oh, okay. And then on the heavier tracks like Change Your Die and Insanity, I reached out to another dear friend, Neil Turbin, uh, who's a great metal writer. and uh, And again... He did uh, the lyrics and the melodies to that, um, and uh, and for the blues song, which is an unusual blues song because it's not a traditional blues song, Roll On, uh, I went to another friend and co-worker, August Young, who's, uh, who's a, a, a new kid on the block, so to speak, <laughs> but I worked with him in the Mr. Jimmy Band with Jimmy Sakurai, and he was the perfect fit for that type of song. Um, and all three of them sang background vocals on their respective tracks, so that gave it um, that gave it almost a fresh a fresh sound and a fresh perspective uh, to Quiet Riot. Right. Okay. And James did the vocals on the album and left the band a few months ago. Now you have Jeezy Pro back in the band. Is he comfortable with the material on the album? Well, initially, uh, you know, James waited until I had uh, delivered the the master tracks to the label for release, and he waited until the video was done, um, and then he quit. Mm. Um, so initially, there were a handful of singers that had not been previously involved with Quiet Riot that I was going to reach out to, but before I did that, I had a, I had a great time with, uh, with Jesse and the band for almost three years, uh, and he's a, he's a great singer, he's a great performer, he's his own person with his own sound, um, so I wanted to reach out to, to Jizzy before I went to anyone else, mm -hmm. 
on the chance and hope that he might be interested. And I was, you know, I was very happy to find out that he was, uh, that he wanted to come back into the choir riot camp. So literally within 24 hours of, uh, of James quitting, uh, he had been replaced by Jizzy, and we're very happy to have him back. Right. And the first single from Hollywood Cowboys is called Don't Call It Love, and it has already yeah. been released. Yeah. I saw some criticism about the production here and there, but aside from that, the reaction has been very positive. Do you take time reading reviews and following the reaction online at all, or...? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm interested to see, to see what people think. Um, I think. I think a lot of the people have now... Uh, there's been enough years have passed where uh, new artists are, are writing material that's largely recorded digitally and uh, and it's auto-tuned and uh, and uh, auto-time corrected and all of that and have this you know squeaky clean kind of a mix uh, which yeah. is something I'm not interested in. you know my generation grew up listening to the recording of the Beatles and especially you know, the late 60s and 70s, Led Zeppelin and Cream and all of that. And I don't believe that you have to make everything, you know, spotty, squeaky, clean. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, people that don't like Quiet Riot are never going to like Quiet Riot, and they're never going to like anything, whether whether it's the song or whether it's the mixes or whether it's the artwork. Um, so I've made a conscious decision to to please myself and please Choir Riot, and then hopefully people will like it. And if they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. Yeah, I think that, that was a good decision, man, between you and me. <laughs> and uh, you have a new video for song number two in the album, In the Blood. Uh, I understand that the video will tie in with the concept of the album cover, right? Yeah, the album cover, the album cover was inspired by, by late 60s, 70s um, uh, cowboy films, especially spaghetti westerns. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of the people, you know, a lot of the hardcore metal fans didn't get the album cover at all. They, uh, they expected to see some, you know, some gothic blood and guts and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and a Viking, Viking helmet or a Viking axe and a sword. Yeah. Uh, to be the cover, and that's not what the record is about. So, you know, I discounted that criticism right away because they just didn't get it. Um, and the video is really inspired by by films like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, um, and a lot of the uh, uh, Sergio Leone productions, those spaghetti westerns. Yeah. So I think that when you see the video, um, it, it should make sense to you. Um, mm -hmm. and the video was a product of, uh, you know, my wife is a, is a film director. Um, so she wrote it and directed and produced it based on, on the lyrics. Um, and we didn't want to make, you know, another cookie cutter video, like a lot of bands. We didn't want it to be just the performance band of a band on stage with a million marshals and a huge drum set. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't want to do that. I also didn't want to do a low budget, um, video with a green screen that you, then you add whatever graphics uh to the back i wanted it to i wanted it to look like like a classic uh a classic film and uh you know that's going to premiere this friday the uh, october 25th and 
you know, hopefully people will appreciate it for what it is, and hopefully people would appreciate um, the time and the care and the love that went to making the video. Right. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it, man. So this Friday, October 26th, right? 25th. 25th. Okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, my favorite uh, tracks so far, my two favorite tracks on a handful of listens at this point in time are The Devil You Know and Change or Die, both of which have lots of changes in mood and time throughout the songs, right? What can you tell us about those two? Well, again, I, you know, with, with a song like uh, Devil That You Know, there's, there's, um, there's sort of a link to, to Choir Ride of the Past as far as the sound is concerned. Right. Um, but I wanted, I wanted it to have a little more depth and a little more dimension. Um, with, with a song like Change or Die, it's completely different from, I think, anything that Choir Ride has done in the past. It's a, it's a, darker, it's a darker sort of mood. Uh, and again, this is why I asked Neil Turbin, uh, ex-Anthrax singer, to, to come on board and, uh, and write the lyrics and melodies to that song, mm -hmm. because I knew it would be a perfect fit for him, and, uh, and I think he is. Right. And, uh, well, before Come On, Feel The Noise, there was nothing like, like that playing on Top 40 radio. I mean, you guys were pioneers and paved the road for so many bands after you. How does it feel knowing that uh, this band is the responsible for putting heavy metal in the mainstream? Well, we're very fortunate to to have been at the right place at the right time and recorded, you know, the right songs and and that they were recorded in a manner and had a sound uh, like nothing else that was on the radio. You know, you have to remember that at the point that Choir Riot went to number one on Billboard, we had to jump over, you know, Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson yeah. and the police um, to get up to the number one spot. So, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and very conscious of the fact that Choir Riot definitely broke through that wall um, to make it possible for something heavier than pop um, to be actually paid attention to on, on a mass level. Having said that, um, my contention has always been that all the bands that came after us um, created their success on their own. Uh, we made it possible for them to to be signed to labels and get you know managers and get agents and uh, and get publicity people behind them and all of that. Um, so you know we were responsible for for opening up that door or kicking that wall down. But the bands that came after us, you know, earned it uh, on their own merits. Right. And through all these years, have you had any contact from the Slade guys who wrote uh, "Come On Feel the Noise" originally? No, it's 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 an interesting phenomena because they had had they had had um, they had had a certain amount of success with "Come On Feel the Noise" um, anywhere except in the United States, mm. um, and we recorded the song. And I remember we were we were in England in '83, and we were playing a show opening up for uh, opening up for Judas Priest at Hammersmith Odeon. And we extended an invitation to their management company to send a limo to pick up the guys in the band and have them, you know, VIP and come to the show, and we could meet them and all of that. Uh, and and they never responded. Oh, and wow. I remember the day after we played the show at Hammersmith Odeon, I went to to the place where all the rockers used to shop at the time, Kensington Market. Uh, and I was in this boot shop getting some boots made, and. Uh, and Jimmy Leia, the bass player and one of the co-writers of the songs, was there. And I went up to him and I introduced myself. And I extended my hand and he shook my hand kind of like it was a wet fish. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, turned around and walked away. 
Oh, uh, but I, I don't have I don't have any bad feelings about it because my position on it was that they wrote a great song, which we made a hit, which made Choir Ride famous, and they got all the money. So I think it was a win-win <laughs> for everybody. I think so too. <laughs> and uh, in the Quiet Right movie that uh, came out a few years ago, there's a line you say at the beginning that's like, uh, "Being a rock star is not like being at a party that never ends." But for a while, that's exactly what it was, right? So what kind of reflections do you have of that time, and would you have done anything differently? Well, it was whirlwind. I mean, you know, uh, I, I always mention in interviews that the two people that were most surprised of the success of the Metal Health record was Kevin and I, <laughs> because we thought it was a great record, but it was like nothing that was out there at the time, so we didn't expect to get any attention. Certainly, we did not expect the success you know, I mean, as of 2003, it had sold over 10 million copies worldwide and then continued from there. We stopped counting. Um, but but everything was happening. Everything was happening so fast. I mean, initially, it took about six months of, of Choir Ride being out on the road and initially playing clubs and then opening up, opening up with some of the greatest acts and, and people that we admire, like, you know, the Scorpions and Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden and ZZ Top. Right. But it took about six months before it actually caught on. And, and we went from, from selling a handful of copies a week to at one point selling uh, over half a million copies in a week. But it was happening so fast. I mean, we were playing um, usually five nights a week supporting uh supporting another act and then the other two nights of the week we go into the clubs and play and and was it uh was it a party that never ended absolutely <laughs> up until the point that it ended <laughs> that's a good one uh and uh i just realized the other day that you played on one of my favorite albums of all time use throw uh what kind of memories can you share with us of recording that album and i understand that glenn hughes is still a huge friend of yours right yeah, Glenn is absolutely great. I love him, and he is truly the the um, the voice of rock. He's one of only he and his wife are, are are two of only a few people that that I privately let know what was going on uh, with with my health situation. Okay. Uh, and they immediately came over to the house with an incredible amount of love and support. And uh, I'm very proud of that record. You know, they, they auditioned 100-plus drummers in 1982. Oh, wow. And I was the unknown guy. And, and I, you know, I was very, uh, very privileged to be able to have been picked to, to record on that record. Um, and Glenn is still, you know, uh, a dear, dear, dear friend. And uh, we chat and text often. Uh, he's getting ready to leave for Russia. Um, I just saw him two nights ago at a at a uh, animal rescue benefit that we went to, oh, okay. and he's just he's just an incredibly talented musician, vocalist, singer, songwriter. But he's also has a huge heart. He's one of the sweetest persons on the planet, uh, and I'm blessed not only to have done Hughes Thrall record, but to continue having a, a lifetime of friendship with, with both Glenn and his wife, Gabby. Right. Uh, there's a scene on the movie where you guys pay tribute to Kevin, uh, oh, Kevin Dubrow, of course, uh, with Glenn and Dee Snyder sharing vocals on Come On Feel The Noise, which is electrifying, and I love that scene. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a thrill. First of all, you know, a little Quiet Riot history, um, I, had, I had introduced um, Kevin to Glenn because Kevin 
you know, when we first started working together in 1980, was unaware of, of uh, Glenn Hughes, and I played him the 1972 Year of the Music with just the band Trapeze record, and oh, Kevin immediately nice. fell in love with uh, with Glenn's voice. So uh, by 1982, I was working with Glenn, and I introduced the two of them, and they became fast friends. I mean, very, very, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when, when Kevin passed away, um, uh, Glenn was the first person that called me to tell me what had happened. So, you know, we yeah. have a very, very strong bond that goes beyond the music. Mm-hmm. And do you feel at peace with losing Kevin Dubrow these days? I mean, have your views about him passing uh, changed since the movie was made? Well, there's there's not a day that I don't think about Kevin. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to understand that he was my best friend. Um, we went through some difficult times and were able to repair our friendship and make it even stronger all the way until the day that he died. Um, and, you know, every single time I step on stage, he's, he's up there with me because we always got on stage at the same time on the same side of the stage. And for 27 years, the person that I saw in front of me um, – doing great performances and great singing, but also being one of the funniest human beings I've ever known was Kevin. And I'm never going to get over his death. Um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him. Um, you know, his birthday is, is coming up uh, this Friday, the 25th. Oh. And, um, and, and again, he's, he's always going to be a part of my life. Um, and he's gone, but he's never going to be forgotten, at least not by me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I share the same sentiment uh, with you guys, and uh, I saw the movie just recently, man, and it's heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, and uh, I love you guys. I've been a long-time fan, so thank you so much for well, carrying on with the legacy of Quiet Riot, okay? Thank you very much. Yeah, the, the, the movie is, uh, is, a very honest, uh, is a very honest film. Um, you know, there's, there's moments in there that, that literally make me cry. There's moments in there that I am uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. There's moments in there where are just hysterically funny, and I just laugh. Um, but uh, I didn't veto anything in the movie. I wanted it to be um, historically correct, going as far back as when Randy, God rest him, uh, was in the band, but all the way through real time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just wanted to put it out there and and have people understand what it's really like to be in a band. It's not it's not one big party that never ends. As right. a matter of fact. The parties are, are a very, very small part of what it is to, to, to be in a band uh, and to have the band be successful and then have the band not be successful and then have the band continue now three and a half decades later. Right. And coming in full circle, uh, you're playing a show at the Whiskey A Go-Go on Saturday, October 26th. How are the preparations for that? Uh, well, a couple of things. I mean, we're, we're for that particular set, we're going to play most of the mental health record um, and a number of things from the condition critical record, some things from the QR3 record. And I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually breaking out a drum set uh, to play live that I haven't played in about 20 years. So it it should be, it should be a fun show. And, uh, and I'm going to challenge myself uh, all the way uh, from the beginning of the set to the end. Awesome, awesome. And uh, going back to Hollywood Cowboys, uh, it comes out on November 8th. When can we expect new tour dates to be announced? Well, we already have uh, dates on the calendar for 2020. You know, we're now uh, in the last quarter of the year, which is the, the period where you start traditionally to wind down. 
but if you go to choirriot.band uh, and go to the tour schedule, you'll be able to see the dates, and uh, I will be adding more dates to it very soon. Right, cool. Well, Frankie, we are closing off now. Uh, any final words to the fans before we close it? Uh, yeah, um, you know, after I released the statement yesterday, um, I had no idea that the response worldwide was going to be so incredibly touching um, and supportive. Um, and I appreciate every single message, every single post, every single email, every single text um, that I have received. Um, and I want all the fans and all my friends know that their support means the world to me. And it also gives me additional strength to continue my fight. Awesome, man. Thank you for your time. And once again, all the best with the treatment and the release of the new album. And I hope to see you rocking on stage very soon. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to do my very best to be out there on the road starting, uh, starting this Saturday and on into the future. Thanks, Frankie. Take care, man. Thanks, my friend. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And for our viewers out there, thank you so much for sticking around and listening. We're wrapping up now, but before I go, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. To close things off, here's a song of the new Quiet Riot album, Hollywood Cowboys. The song is called In the Blood. Take care and rock on. Rock on.